0: Um, Today, we're going to be talking about um, uh, some of the issues that are top of mind for all of us, right? which is, hey, what's going on inside of the real estate market? What things should I be interested in to accelerate my path to financial freedom? As you guys know, that's what we're all about here at Royal Legal Solutions. We're creating the one-stop shop for everything that investors need, real estate investors need, um, to be able to accelerate that path to financial freedom by doing all of the legal, the tax, the insurance, um, and talking about how investing is actually working right now uh, so you can have all of the best information. Uh, and support that you need on actually building um, that investing future for you. Um, One of the things that I wanted to come on to uh, to this week's show with Ron Galloway was to share with you guys uh, more about uh, what I'm actually doing, right? I feel like it's one of my responsibilities to everybody to be open and transparent um, about what are the things that I'm actually investing in, where am I putting my money, why do I do it that way um, as I continue to grow my passive income, as part of the fun game that I still have uh, in being an investor. Um, And I wanted to share with you that guys, with you here today, because I still think there is a place inside of this market for what it is that we're doing with, uh, with real estate investing and buying new assets. Um, But there is very good reason, I believe, to start thinking in more broad terms about what is going to look like in in my path uh, to financial freedom. Um, So in today, um, what I'm going to walk us through here is going to be a little bit about um, some of those financial freedom uh, considerations that we have. What what helps us build towards financial freedom? um, Why do we use real estate? Uh, to get in to uh, help motivate our, our finances to be able to get us uh, to financial freedom? What are some of the limitations um, that exist inside of real estate investing uh, in any market, but also inside of this market um, that we're running into? And what are the things that I've been doing uh, with Ron um, that's been uh, putting me onto a path where I'm having uh, better and safer returns uh, with more flexibility um, than I am with the real estate deals, um, the typical real estate deals uh, that across, come across my plate. Um, so anyway, so I wanted to just a quick brief bio for anybody that's not here and used to seeing uh, this face inside of the camera. Of course, my name is Scott Smith. I'm the owner of Royal Legal Solutions. I'm a longtime real estate investor. I'm also um, an asset protection attorney and tax attorney. Uh, Royal Legal Solutions, as everybody knows, um, is a one-stop shop uh, for everything investors need. We specialize in real estate investors because um, those are the uh, people that have uh, the, the hardest problems. Problems to solve in terms of how do we protect and hide assets, optimize for uh, taxes, um, do the insurance, and look at the strategic investments uh, that we look at. Um, so um, what I want to start our conversation with here today is just a little bit about um, what is the durable, what is this concept of durable financial freedom? Um, that we talk about inside of Royal Life, as well as if you guys have picked up the Royal Life Planner or have looked up any of the videos that I've done um, regarding durable financial freedom, you'll have a much better take on what these things are. But if we just talk about this one concept of durable financial freedom, what are we talking about and what is it that we want? So what we're looking for uh, inside of durable financial freedom, as we're looking for our passive income, uh, to equal our expenses. From just a pure dollars and sense point of view, this is what you will always hear from everybody of what does financial freedom mean? It means passive income is gonna equal expenses. What we've done in RLS is we talk about one other concept, which is what does it mean to be durable? This durable means is how secure is this over time? How secure and flexible is this over time? another consideration for us to talk about. You can reach financial freedom, right? There's ways to reach financial freedom quickly, fast, but it might not be very durable, which means that you would have to regress back into an old lifestyle. And I'm all about life living like this, where things continue up and to the right. I don't need them to get better fast, but I need them to continue getting better things to continue to head into the right direction, because that's when life feels good to me, that is because things are improving over time and I can control um, that growth. So when we talk about this concept of financial freedom, there's a couple of components into it that are typically really important for us as real estate investors. And one that's gonna be that passive income, right? We want that to be a, a primary component of what we're looking for, because that's a key component here to our KPIs for our finances. Is we want that passive income. So, what we're also looking for is we're looking for consistent monthly cash flow because that's how all of our expenses get paid. So, that's how we want to get paid from our investments, and that's how all of our expenses get paid. So, we're looking for consistent monthly cash flow. Um, we're also going to be looking for return of capital, right? We want return of capital when we want, when desired, right? Because what does that allow us to do? That lets us be more durable. Why is it more durable? Because now we're more flexible. We're more flexible if we can get back access to our capital um, at any given time. What do we also want? We also want stability. We want stability in the underlying asset, right? Stability in the underlying asset, that also creates us to be more durable because it's more secure, right? So the more stable our underlying assets are, like real estate ours, as it says, hey, we're more secure inside of our financial freedom because this asset's not gonna be all over the place. We're not investing in all kinds of uh, things that are gonna be super volatile for the investments that we're making, that we're using for financial freedom uh, purposes. Um, And we're also interested in, in this thing, which is called diversification. And diversification becomes important for us because that's also another way to have security, right? If all of your eggs are in one basket, you're not diversified. And if you're not diversified, that means one type of economic condition can exist or come about like say a war in Ukraine starts up out of nowhere and then all that, that nobody could see coming or not see coming in a, a, a very um, long time period, right? Uh, to be able to be able to adjust. And what that can mean is if you're not appropriately diversified, unexpected life events come about and then they hit you in a way um, that is gonna hurt. So when we're thinking about financial freedom, uh, what we're typically thinking about is these types of considerations. Um, From a purely financial um, standpoint, what we want to do is we want to take our passive income. This is the amount of revenue that we have, right? And then we wanna say, how much money can we save on tax, right? And then how can I take all of my income there and make better investments? right? So the game is we generate cash, we save money on taxes, and then we plow it into more investments. And then that lets us be able to create more passive income over time, right? If you guys remember from the financial freedom calculators that are here inside of uh, Royal Life, uh, when we looked at it here, if you have your rich life planner in front of you, what you're going to be able to do is to and if you guys don't have the PDF of that, email me at Scott at Royal Legal Solutions. I'll make sure you get it. But all of the financial metrics are here inside of your Royal Life Planner here, right? Has all of the metrics written out for a way for you to be able to break down those financial KPIs. And there are also, yep, I see Maria talking about, hey, there's even written moratoriums and other stuff that can pop up to you off unexpectedly. Um, so if you haven't been able to do this exercise here with your financial one sheet, Highly recommend you do that to be able to have clarity on what those financial metrics are looking like, to be able to accelerate your path uh, to financial freedom. And we know that in the pursuit of that, these are the key, key considerations that we're looking for. So the next question, James, so I says, well, if we're on the path to financial, durable financial freedom, why do we want, why real estate in particular? Why did we all decide to do real estate um, as the move, right? Well, real estate um, provides us rent, right? When we do long-term buy-and-hold real estate, and that's going to be our monthly cash flow, right? That's the, one of the key considerations that we wanted. Was we needed some type of investment that was going to give us monthly cash flow? Um, we looked at dividend-producing stocks, and we said, ah, "I don't know about dividend-producing stocks," you know. And there's some good reasons why we're going to talk about here in a second. But originally, why we wanted to do real estate, long-term real estate, is because we wanted this monthly cash flow right? We also said, well, we can also sell our real estate, right? And that can give us access to capital. So we have an asset that we're buying that is sellable in a market. There's almost always a willing buyer uh, to be able to purchase the real estate um, that we want to sell. We also know that real estate is is fairly stable, right? I think over a 10-year period, um, you end up with about a 5% return. We've had some crazy years here in the last few years, right? But if we look historically, you know, your underlying assets is going to increase by about 5% per year um, over any given uh, 10-year period. We also liked real estate because it provided some of the diversification that we talked about, right? We said, great, well, I can actually have uh, many different kinds of real estate, right? So I can do land, I can do notes, I can do commercial, And so, if I wanted to diversify in real estate, there's a lot of things I could do that would allow me to be able to diversify among my various real estate um, assets. Um, And that we know this is allows us to have passive income. It's one of those unique uh, passive income. And this is actually the kind of passive income that we can control from setting our own prices, for navigating what is gonna be the passive income that we're gonna be able to get off of our investments. So that gives us the ability to feel like, hey, we got more control over our investments uh, and our passive income as we move forward. However, there are some limitations. And this is what I ran into and started changing a little bit of my thinking about like, hey, well, what's going on in the market right now? and, and let me reassess how bullish or how confident or how excited I am about um, what kinds of things I'm seeing in real estate markets right now. So some of the, the, the issues that we have um, is that, hey, I have a sellable asset. That's one of the things I really liked about real estate, but the pricing um, is artificially controlled right? And who knows what these are artificially controlled by? What is artificially controlling? Who? Drop it in the chat. Drop it in the chat if you know, how is real estate artificially co- pricing artificially controlled by something else? Yeah, Andy says comps, cost of money, interest rates. That's what I'm looking for. Interest rates, right? Who sets those interest rates? The feds do, right? Federal Reserve sets the interest rates. As interest rates rise, what happens to prices? Who knows what happens to prices? Prices fall as interest rates go up, yeah? More expensive money becomes, prices go down, right? And who controls that? That's going to be the Fed. So the asset class that we have is artificially controlled by governmental entity. That's going to set these rates, and we can see what that governmental entity is doing. We also know that it's artificially controlled in many degrees by Wall Street because these are institutional investors that are going up and buying in tranches of real estate that you will never see coming, right? It's institutional investors that are putting in billions of dollars um, at any given time. Um, of course, that's gonna decrease the supply um, of the real estate, further drive up prices, right? Because you have a decrease in the supply. But again, it's another unexpected piece um, that you won't know it is coming. It can just happen, just like the feds raising rates can just happen. Um, rent. For, is another limitation is when we think about what rent is for real estate, because rent is only semi-passive, right? It's semi-passive um, because you have vacancy rates with your renters, right? These people can come and go, and then you're left having to refind a new renter. So that activity that you have with your real estate isn't passive. Um, you could have a property manager to help with that, but then... Who manages the property manager? Who holds the property manager accountable and having to hire a new property manager? Well, that's also a non-passive activity. You continually have to uh, make sure that your property manager is doing the job um, right. We also have like other issues with rent that rent is only semi-stable right? One of the things we wanted for durable financial freedom, when we talked about this before, is that we wanted our cash flows to be stable or as stable as they can be. And here, and for most of our investors, we're saying, well, we really think that rent is actually only going to be semi-stable for everybody, right? How does this happen? It's because typically it can be from like economic changes. The people that were renting from you before no longer have jobs or, you um, Economic conditions cause these to cause it to shift. um, And therefore, it's like, hey, maybe I don't have people that can really come in to be able to rent in the same way um, that they were renting before, which either means that I have higher vacancy rates or lower rents that are coming in because of some of the economic um, changes that can happen. Right. There's another key consideration with rents that we have here is that rent is correlated, these two dots here, when you see me use these guys, I'm using this to say these are correlated or related to, rent is actually correlated to wages, right? Rent is not an infinite number that can go up with the price of real estate. Rent's actually not connected to the price of the real estate you pay. It's connected to how much money people can make, right? It's limited to how much money can people can make. So one of the things that we have to consider here, right, is what happens when prices go up, but wages stay flat. What happens in economic conditions when prices go up, but wages stay flat? What this can mean is that we start to have item number C here, which is ROI compression. Who here has been saying, hey, I'm struggling finding deals? I'm struggling finding deals that make any sense. I see Andy raising his hand, Tom's raising his hand. Yeah, the ROI doesn't make sense anymore, does it? It's like, holy smokes, so I have to have a push in a bunch of capital to be, able to be able to generate the financial freedom I'm looking for, to generate the passive income I'm looking for, because my ROI is so compressed. Um, so this actually, ROI compression means if you stay inside of real estate, you actually have to have more capital to reach financial freedom. As you go through, yeah? Limitation of what we're doing here with real estate. Another limitation that we have with real estate is what happens with the sell of the asset. How can I get my money back out of any given real estate deal? How how much liquidity do I really have um, in, in real estate? Now we talked about before is that pricing is uncontrolled. Remember we said before that, hey, pricing is actually controlled by the feds and Wall Street. What's going on? Yeah. So if pricing is uncontrolled, that means that in an up market, in an up market, what can I do if I want liquidity? I can either sell or finance, pull cash out, do some cash out refis to be able to get, cap, to able to get access to capital. What happens in a down market or a flat market? All of a sudden, now your sell opportunity doesn't exist anymore. You're upside down or it's flat. There's nothing in there you can really get to or the amount of cash that you can get to is going to be eaten up by brokerage commissions as they come into because there's just not much money there, right? You can get upside down inside of what can happen in the markets. Not that big of a deal, right? You might say, well, great. I actually don't need to sell, Scott, because I got rent. I got rents coming in, right? And I'm really just focused on the rents that I got coming in and the cash flows that come in. Say, so, well, cool. That's That is true to the extent that this other piece is also true where my rents are actually stable and that my income is actually passive and my rents are actually stable and that my rents can become unstable between changing economic conditions and some of the underlying fundamentals of what's happening with wages inside of the economy. So you might be thinking this way and that's fine. Just know that it's not bulletproof. You might also be saying, well, I can cover off on how to make that more bulletproof by what? I can say, cool, I'm gonna do lower LTVs. So that way my rents can actually, rent dollars can actually go down and I can still afford those mortgage payments and I have lower LTVs. But what's the problem with lower LTVs? Andy's gonna know. My ROI just went down, didn't it? Which actually means now I need more capital. Which actually means what? It means, Longer time to financial freedom because you have to build more capital to be able to get there into it. Yeah, well. Also, this can mean that at any given time, when you look at this, there's the question of, if I want financial freedom, how much capital Do I need, and at what rate, slash ROI? When you can't control your investment model well, this question will paralyze you because you won't know what's my target that I have to have for total cash and total accumulation. What's my total net worth? need to be? And on that net worth, what do I need to be able to generate as an ROI? So the more control that you can get over your investment model, the better you're going to be able to answer those questions. And there's a tool that I just showed you about how to get high levels of clarity on what that would look like. And you would see that tool if you had your uh, Royal Life Planner as that financial freedom calculator as one of the critical things that we look at right here. Net worth and passive to net. And we said, this is so important. You have to be looking at it every quarter as part of the tool that we look at inside of Royal Life and inside of the things that we do, inside of the coaching that we're going to have in the time and money coaching that Gina and I are going to be putting on. Uh, stay posted for those discussions because we're going to go deep into this tool set of how do you use this calculator and how does it help guide you? Great. So we've talked about so far is looking at how, what can happen with rents, how inside of real estate, um, Liz is going to be able to help drop in uh, pieces to help get you plugged into the, uh, uh, Liz or Ken, if you could please just drop in uh, links to the Royal Life uh, Planner and that PDF or other other ways that they can go ahead and get that as well as um, links to be able to register for the time and money show that Gina are going to be doing to be able to dive into that financial freedom calculator. Uh, that'll help everybody get um, aligned and feel like they're set up for success uh, going forward. Um, so we talked about the rents. We talked about, hey, hey, well, sure, our real estate is sellable. We can get the return of capital, but we not, might not be able to control the price that we get for it because it can depend on the timing and that it's these other exterior forces that are actually determining the price for us and that the what can happen here with if we're... Um, what can happen in instability of the markets... Could mean that we actually have to strategically compress our own ROIs to be able to make sure that we're not upside down on our assets, right? And so that the market conditions will impact what we can do on the buy and sell the assets, but it also impacts our investment strategies by saying, "Hey, if things look unstable financially, that means I I have to have lower LTVs, and that the lower LTVs mean I have." Um, less ROI. And then the ROI ultimately means that I'm delayed in how fast I can get to the financial freedom um, that I'm looking for. Now, a lot, of, a lot of times too, I and this is the reason I love real estate too, is because I was like, hey, this is stable, right? We said, hey, 5% over 10 years, over a 10-year period. I think this is going to appreciate by 5% per year over a 10-year period. Um, and what we liked about this before is he said, hey, it gives us this plus cash flow so he said hey i'll take that deal if i can cash flow and get a five percent return um per year over any 10-year period i'll take it and then in fact i like this better than stocks right because stocks you could say cool i could put it into any type of index fund and this is a 10 percent per year over 10 per year 10 period uh, t- over any 10-year period but what do you also lose you lose the cash flow and that's why we say eh. We're not so much into stocks. One, I don't necessarily know what stocks to invest in that are going to be stable to be able to make sure I get those returns, but I could put in an index funds. That's going to be able to give me some stability there. Uh, plus, I don't get the cash flow. Andy's right to say, hey, we also have all of these other things that we like from real estate that we get, like depreciation, uh, 1031 exchanges, you get the leverage. Um, You get all kinds of great other benefits, right? Um, Those are going to be parts of issues that are going to come up in our financial freedom calculator, which is like how much are you paying in taxes, right? And so that's a a key line item that you see in the Royal Life Planner on that financial freedom calculator as you're getting into all that. But if we just looked at like the asset itself, right? How stable is it of an asset? They say, well, great. Well, both of these could be relatively stable if we understand um, how they work. Um, and we say, great. Well, I like the real estate because I think the real estate's actually more stable than the stock market over time. However, we know from the past that it's not absolutely stable, right? We go back to 2008, right? We can say, Hey, there's unforeseen events that make real estate feel like the the bottom can drop out of it. I I don't see anything like that happening, um, to our real estate market and, and like a shock, um, kind of uh, issue. Um, but It's just important to know when we're talking about different kinds of assets, what do we actually mean by something being stable, right? And how can we define what true stability looks like that we uh, care about? So it merits some discussion about what things are truly stable and not. Now, when we look through diversification, and some of the limitations and diversification in real estate is most of everybody, um, I'd say on uh, of, of investors in general, it's one real estate type. You'd probably classify yourself as like, hey, I'm an SFR. I'm an apartment investor. I'm a commercial. I'm land. I fit into one of these types. Right. Which means that I really don't have diversification, even inside of real estate. I'm actually only in one type of asset class inside of one asset called real estate. So I'm very, very um, concentrated. So if anything happens in the SFR market and I only have eight single family homes, perhaps that I should consider what things I could do in diversification to be able to help me because I'm limited. This is one of the limitations that will impact my ability to have financial freedom is if something happens in one of these markets. Um, now, all of these are Tend to trend differently. They're somewhat correlated, but they tend to trend differently. So, one thing that people would just say, hey, I'm really into real estate, but I'm so what I'm going to do is I'm going to push money into different types of real estate assets. The issue that comes in here is how hard was it for you to learn one, right? So, it can be difficult to have the time um, and coaching to diversify. Right. So even if you're like, Hey, I really just want to stick inside of real estate, you might consider it's like, Well, how much, how successful have you been so far in trying to diversify into different types of real estate? And do you really have the time and the coaching that you would need to diversify if you wanted to? And that's just a question, right? It's a question of how does that work for you um, in your journey of learning about? What opportunities and what markets, what is happening to markets inside of the different kinds of real estate that you can get into? And if you don't know, right, of what that would look like, I would say, well, great, I'm actually not doing that. I'm just, I'm concentrated right now and I maybe don't have the time or the space or the energy or the money to be able to learn how to appropriately diversify among my real estate. Uh, And that's a challenge I'm having. It's also difficult inside of diversification is. Um, to know um, it's difficult to time. How do you know when that you need to diversify out of your single family rentals into apartments or into commercial or into land if you were going to stay inside of real estate? When is the right timing that tells us that we have to do this to say, or, or if we say, hey, actually, I need to look at something totally different because something totally different than real estate is actually the way I'm going to get the durability that I'm looking for right? How do we know that it's the time to act and the time to learn? What tells us that we need to start taking actions that are different than the ones that are taking now? And what can we do that? Ron's going to talk to us a little bit about that, having that kind of intelligence um, as part of what you have here and access to our community, as well as um, from Ron, from all of his experience. And the other problem here is when we look at the diversification is another time issue, which is how much time does it take for us to manage and to learn all of these different things, right? It's difficult to know when to do it, but it's also, did you ever expect your passive income generation to take so much time? Isn't the reason that we got into passive income is because we wanted it to take less time? right? We wanted to buy our time back by generating passive income. At the end of the day, that's what passive income is, right? Time is money. Passive income means that you're passively generating more time for yourself to go do other things. So what does this really mean for us when we look at passive income is that we have to look at passive income as a spectrum. And that on this passive income spectrum, we really have a couple of key uh, endpoints, I think, that are... available to us in real estate. We have here, which is I would consider almost like not passive, which is this is gonna be like a self-managed uh, SFR, right? Sure, passive income in the sense you're getting rent, but holy smokes, if you have self-managed your SFR with all the tenant issues and having to fix toilets and do all of that uh, property management work, all doing it all yourself, this does not feel like the passive income that they told you about in the seminar when you were getting into real estate at the very beginning. Then we have here on this side of this, this is gonna be mostly passive, might be the most passive that you can, um, that you can. Uh, well, there's one other phase that's more passive than this, but this is the mostly passive phase of this, which is gonna be what typically is syndications. Say, great, instead of me managing everything myself, What I'm actually gonna do is I'm gonna push money into a pool of investors. We're gonna buy bigger assets. It's gonna be managed by somebody else. I'm gonna push that money into a syndication. Syndications have their own limitations, right? That make them not passive because there is a return of capital that happens that you don't control. This is done by the deal maker of when are they gonna give you that capital back? It's also subject to market conditions. Because remember, the deal maker is only going to exit that deal whenever it's good for them. There's also tax considerations that happen here. Because why? Because you don't actually get to control the return of capital. So then you can get plopped in with a bunch of money and you're not set up to be able to handle that from a tax perspective. Um, that could come up. But what you get for this is I have a lot um, more time. I don't have to spend nearly as much time to manage my money because only for every four years or so do I have to go back and then re, uh, re-buy uh, assets. Okay, so, so far what we talked about is here's all of the challenges that I've run into personally with my real estate investing on my own journey and sharing that with you guys of here's the, the kinds of things I think about Um, when I'm considering what to do with my money. So as I've been looking about uh, what what is the opportunities that currently exist and the things that I've done with Ron over the last six months with high six-figure commitments is looking at a solution to some of these problems that we have inside of the real estate market Uh, right now as investors to help us on our path of financial freedom. And the solution that I looked for, for me, was there's a couple of key criteria. One, had to meet all my underlying reasons for real estate, right? All of the things and financial freedom—all of the things that we talked about here in the very beginning of this discussion, which was, hey, you know, what I'm really looking for here is, you know, all of these different, um, all of these different pieces—the passive, the passive income, the consistent monthly cash flow, the return of capital when I needed it, and the diversification. So I had whatever I was going to do needed to meet my underlying conditions that worked for me for real estate. Um, and the piece that we, and what I was working on with Ron on, it was this thing that anybody can do and anybody can learn to do. And it's actually not that hard to learn how to do it. And what it is called is covered call options, covered call options trading. So for anybody that doesn't know what a covered call options trading is, this is a, a, what you can do it what you can do with this strategy is you buy stock and then other people gamble. So in essence, what you are is you're the house and you're letting other people gamble off your stock. How does that work? Well, it works on a sense that says, hey, I buy a hundred dollars worth of this stock um, and somebody says, great, hey, Andy, you own $100 in that stock. Um, what I would like to do is if that stock goes to $110, I want to buy it from you for 100, at $100. And he would say, well, if it goes to $110, why in the world would I ever sell it to you for $100? I should sell it to you for $110. And they say, well, what I'm going to do, though, Andy, is I'm going to pay you $3 right now for one month. So if any time in the next month, this $100 stock goes to $110, um, I get to buy it from if you're $100, but I'm going to pay you $3 for that ability to be able to do that. Which means Andy now has $103, even if it goes uh, to $110, because he's going to get his $100 back, plus he gets his $3 premium with it. Now, these are other traders that what they're doing is they're gambling. They're saying, hey, I'll be willing to pay this premium because I believe that it's gonna go to 110 and if it goes to 110, I win all of this spread. So you're letting other people gamble while you own what's underlying and you get the durable consistent income every month that comes off of it and you get all of your money back each month to be able to redeploy or do it. So it meets those types of uh, flexibility uh, requirements that we're looking for. So when I looked and <clears throat> talking to Ron about <clears throat> how was this covered call option strategy going to work for me as a real estate investor, what came to me was saying like, hey, I like rent from my real estate. Well, that rent is just like that option premium. So money I get <clears throat> every single month as it comes in. I know exactly. I know when it's going to come in. I know how much I'm going to get that comes into it, right? Connie's in there and says, hey, it's like I'm renting my stock and it's the gamblers that are actually taking all the risk." Yeah, you have that 100% nail, Connie. Then the other thing we talked about is like, hey, what was it sellable? We talked about, hey, real estate needs to be sellable, right? And this is sellable <clears throat> in any 30-day period if that's where you have your option period set. So you can set this up. So, hey, hey, every 30-day period, I can sell my stock and I can get back my capital that I put into the market. Um, so I actually have a ton more flexibility with getting my capital back than I even do with real estate because I'm actually getting all of my money back every 30 days, and then I can redeploy it if I want to. Where is it stable? So that's one of the things I was Ron. I was like, hey, Ron, how is this stable? I wanna know how can I lose? How do people lose in a covered call options trading strategy? And stability here means Uh, pricing, right? I need pricing to either be flat or to go up, right? If remember from this piece, if my stock that I have for 100 goes up to 110, I still get my three bucks. If it stays flat and this only goes to 105, guess what I get? I still get my three bucks, right? So I need pricing to be flat or to go up. So how can you lose? in covered call options is if pricing actually goes down. What happens if you're, if inside of any thirty-day period, that $100 stock is now only worth $40 or $10? It's like, wow, I lost a ton of equity. I made my premium because that's what the gamblers paid me, but my pricing went down, so I lost money uh, overall from the equity. However, you still own the stock. What does that remind you of? Pricing can go down, but you still own it and you're still generating rent. It's Just like real estate, right? Just like real estate. Pricing can go down. We still get to generate all of our option premiums that come off of us, off of the stock. And I said, well, I said, all right, cool, Ron. Well, that's great because that means that this is exactly just um, like real estate. But is there anything better I can do with stability here? And he said, yeah, you find things that are going to be flat or go up. Then you don't have to worry about, you know, what's going to happen with pricing going down. And and Ron's going to pick this up and talk about this a little bit more. Um, But um, the key here is what is stable. What's truly stable? And we were looking for big stability, right? We're looking for large economic conditions to be able to tell us that, hey, this is going to be stable, and it's going to be stable over time. And it's going to be at least relatively flat outside of just minor ups and downs that happens to any market, but we're talking minor ups and downs here, or it's going to go up and how could we know that that's going to be the case? And we're looking for big economic conditions to be able to, to be able to influence that, right? We're looking for things that aren't controlled artificially by uh, outside forces. um, Like we talked about uh, before, as much as possible, right? We're looking for um, as much true market stability, true economic stability, uh, as possible um now when we talk about like our um what's our passive rate here we say well we're redeploying the funds every 30 days so how passive is this really if i'm ever redeploy the funds every 30 days that sounds like a ton of work it's passive because it's the same investment over and over So to redeploy and sell these options again in any 30 day period, is just a couple of clicks of the mouse to be able to redeploy those funds. So it's a very small amount of time. So I would say that this is actually even um, as passive or more passive than syndications because it's such a small, it's only figuring out a system once and then rinse and repeating it with small amounts of time. Um, Whereas a syndication, has long time periods before you have to do anything, but it's a massive amount of work to refigure out what do you need to do and redeploy that money with um, in the syndications at that time. <clears throat> but the other thing with covered call options that allows you to do that you can't um, that most people typically wouldn't do with their real estate is this allows you to do fund investments, investment funds that you can get a hold of. will turn these into purely passive investments because the money in the fund just rolls over month after month, or it pays you out every 30 days. <clears throat> your passive income, which is your option premiums that they have managed for you, they take a little bit off the top for their management fees right? Uh, that come with it, but they'll pay you out every 30 days with it. And that becomes even more passive than what you could do with the syndication. Um, but what does this require? You got to have trust. Right? You're basically turning your money over to people and saying, well, I'm going to trust that you guys have it handled on where this is going to get placed every 30 days to make sure that I continue to get paid out. And how do I know that I can, I can trust you and I can trust what's happening inside of the fund to know that my underlying asset, the capital I gave you to buy these underlying assets, isn't going to, isn't going to fall to a level that's going to put me at risk. Because I need to preserve my capital and I need cash flow, because that's what I wanted when I got into real estate. So this is the solution that I'm doing now um, with a section of my uh, a high six-figure uh, amount of my portfolio, and I've been doing that for about um, the last six months, um, and I've had um, a great, um, great, great, great experience and doing that in in conjunction with um, everything that I've been working on with Ron. So Ron, at this point, I'd like to turn um, the mic over to you to start talk to introduce yourself a little bit, give everybody a little background about you, and then <clears throat> get deeper into some of the economic conditions um, that underlie um, what you see from macroeconomic perspectives. Um, how that would relate to real estate how does it relate to markets and that if people are interested inside of covered call options trading what is going to be this under what are these under these bit what is the big economic conditions that give them the stable types of investments that they can do for the underlying stocks to be able to take advantage of these um, uh, being able to generate passive income from the options trade hey did you
1: just throw it to me?
0: Yep, just
1: threw it to you, brother. All right, let me see if I can get my stuff up on the screen here. Uh, I recognize some faces. It's good to see y'all. For those of you who don't know me, I've spoken to y'all a few times. Uh, My name is Ron Galloway and um, do some work with Scott. And Scott asked me to uh, just kind of go over what I'm seeing uh, in the market right now. And uh, especially since that last... uh, uh, inflation report we had a week or so ago, how it might uh, affect uh, real estate and a look at sort of all the other classes. I'm going to run through this really quick because I know y'all are uh, in a hurry. But um, so here we go. We'll get started. Oh, by the way, if there's like a lot of noise outside, I have uh, some crazed workmen working on the house right now. So I told them to go to lunch. But uh, if you hear a lot of noise, that's what it is. Uh, anyway, my name is Ron Galloway, and what I do is, is research, and I do research in a lot of areas. Um, I've traded for about 20 years and then took some time off to just do pure research, and I uh, came back to trading, but this is what I've done, Scott said, to introduce myself. Uh, I focus on a lot of things, and I've wound up a lot of places, and every time I get introduced to the speech... All they really ever say is, uh, ooh, he was on The uh, Daily Show. So, yeah, I guess that's sort of my big claim to fame. But the two things I'm currently obsessed with, some of y'all may have heard me speak about interest rates. I'm completely obsessed about interest rates, and I talk about them to banks all the time, banks and banking associations. Uh, I've gone back and studied them over 5,000 years because basically everything – all economic life is governed by interest rates. And, and so if you pay attention to them, they tell a story. And everything you need to know is really about the economy is reflected in one place, and that's whatever the interest rate is. So that's why I pay particular attention to it. I also do a lot of healthcare care uh, work, but eh, we don't need to mess with that. And I have a punk band called Keith's Teeth, which is apropos of nothing, but I wanted Liz to see that picture. Uh, anyway, so what did the inflation report mean, and where should I be investing now? Probably not in Netflix. Uh, what Scott was saying a second ago about if you, if you had cover calls on Netflix when Jim Cramer told you to buy it, or if you had stock on it, he's told you to buy it, I guess, last November, is the fact it was, when it was 620 and uh, it's actually lower than that right now. It's uh, two thirty. dollars and there's like some amusing headlines on it right now too. It's uh, I saw one headline where it was like, "Investment strategist says why he's sticking with Netflix." I can't imagine why he'd be sticking with Netflix. And another one asked the question, and it's valid question: is does this mean something really bad for the market? And it might. And what you're not going to see in real estate is something going from going down 700 to 226. So it's down 100 today. Uh, That's 700 down to that is like a loss of 60%. You're not going to see real estate do that. So that's the the problem with stocks, but that's why you diversify. Anyway, the Fed uh, a couple of weeks ago said that inflation was 8.5%. Uh, and there's the head of the Fed right there, the guy that runs our lives. Another one of the governors uh, said inflation is currently at an all-time high. It's far too high. And if I'll, I'll go ahead and translate that for you. What that means is we're going to raise rates as much as we have to. I am pretty sure that they're going to raise rates four more times uh, the question is whether it's going to be in increments of 50 basis points or 75 basis points. Uh, I've showed y'all a version of this chart before. The bottom number is uh, is inflation right now, which they say is 8.5, and this goes back to 1982. The top number is if you calculated inflation like the government used to calculate it in 1980, and inflation's like if you look at it that way. And if you've been to a grocery store lately, you realize that number is probably more true, but there's still some clueless people out there like this guy who says the inflation picture is still unclear. Here's why. He clearly hasn't been shopping lately. I wanted to run with you some year-to-date numbers on uh, on how much stuff has gone up, all right. And so this is I pulled these numbers uh, last night. So uh, year to date, corn thirty five percent, wheat forty two percent. And I often say you can't eat an iPad. This is stuff you really need, all right. We need food. Soybeans up forty one percent. The one that really kind of worries me is rice has stayed stable. Uh, Up until about the last two weeks, and now rice, which a lot of people around the world depend on for their their calories, uh, rice is going up, which is a big, big problem. Orange juice up 37%. Pretty much everybody's familiar with oil and gas going absolutely crazy right now. Gold, to the chagrin of a lot of people, still hasn't gone up as much as you would expect in such an inflation-heavy environment. I'm not sure why that is. Uh, palladium is really the one metal that's that's been screeching, although I think copper is uh, as soon to follow it. Uh, you've probably noticed if you go to Costco that the bacon's a lot more expensive. Um, where was that going to? Oh, here we go. Uh, eggs a couple of years ago were about 85 cents. Now they're $2.95 and going to go higher Because there's an avian flu, a bad, bad avian flu, and a lot of chickens are going to have to um, be put down. So expect—I I I would expect that eggs are going to be $5 a dozen uh, before too long. People think this stuff can't happen until it does, except it never happens where I live. I live right down the street from the Augusta National Golf Course. These are this year's prices on the food there. So inflation seems to be happening everywhere except at the Augusta National, where you can still get a soft drink for a dollar and a sandwich for $2.50, which is a third of the price of a Chick-fil-A sandwich, I think. But once again, I'm assessed with interest rates. And this is the last month in the 10-year, which I find is is the best proxy to me for interest rates. And you can see how much rates have gone up. in, in just uh, one month. And that has caused the biggest loss in the overall bond market in history, in the history of the world. Uh, there's been about $3 trillion worth of wealth that has disappeared because of rates going up. This is year to date how much rates have gone up um, from under 1.6 to about 2.8. This is a problem, and they're going to keep going up. And if you look at bond uh, ETFs, uh, you'll see, and this is year to date, you'll see if you had a 20-year treasury fund, you're down 28%. Nobody ever thinks about that. Everybody thinks, oh, bonds always at least stay flat. No, they don't. Not not by a, a long shot. Um and then you can—it's—it's it's manifested itself in a few ways. We're finally seeing real estate cool down just a little bit, and I'm gonna—I'm gonna talk a little bit about that, just based on what I'm seeing. I'm not pressing the panic alarm or anything, but there are some interesting facts that I thought that y'all might want to be aware of. I saw this. This is a joke slide, but I actually had to look at it twice on the headline to realize it was actually making a joke. Um, Real estate can go down. One of the biggest prices we saw was between 2007 and 2010 in Northern Ireland when they went down 50%. Uh, Because Netflix today, which everybody thought was stable, uh, or this year has gone down 60%. But in general, real estate doesn't fall that much. But in general, real estate doesn't go up this much. This is the uh, the ratio of the... uh, Case-Shiller national home price uh, to the S&P 500, and look at the little spike up at the very end about how much prices have gone up. If you draw, uh, Scott was talking about how uh, real estate generally goes up about 5% a year. Well, if you start at 2012 and go till now, that's compounding more than 5%. This is a very short term in the last five year look at the 10 year uh, bond. And you can see it got it got super low in 2020, but now it's creeping up and it's creeping up at an accelerated rate. And this is a longer, much longer term view of the one I just showed you. This one goes back to 1980, just so you can have a reference of how high it could go. So see where we are all the way to the right, how it's just kind of poking itself up a little bit. To me, interest rates, the 10-year interest rate wants to be at about four to four and a half. That's where it wants to be. In general, mortgage rates are about two to three percent higher than the 10-year. So do that that math in your head. Uh, But as, as we stand here, rates are at a 10-year high. You all know this, you're real estate investors. But I don't think anybody thought it would happen this quick. But it's purely a reaction to what we've seen in the bond market. And the Fed finally looking like it's having some teeth uh, when it says it's going to raise interest rates. And they really don't have a choice with inflation this high. This, are, this is a chart going back to 74 of... Uh, Of thirty-year mortgage rates, and just for reference, so you can see where they kind of want to be. It looks to me like they want to be around six and a half to seven percent. Here's the interesting thing about that: if they were three percent, you know, year and a half ago, uh, your monthly payment on three percent versus seven percent is half. So, if if mortgage rates go to seven percent, then uh, monthly payments on new mortgages will be double what people are used to. And that's that can't help but to have an impact. And the Fed has overtly said they're going to keep on raising. Uh, and if you look at a lot of factors, if you look at uh, that yellow line is the case Shiller Housing Index, which I'm, I'm sure you're all familiar with, but I wanted to jumble all these things together. Uh, it suggests If you look at population, which is the blue line, population growth, uh, people that, these are employees, people that can get mortgages, uh, has slowed, but you still see prices going way up. And now at the bottom, we're finally seeing in black, um, we're seeing home building ticking up a little bit, but there are a lot of factors that people The one factor I think people aren't really looking at is, you know, people say we're not building enough houses, but are there enough people in the group that's buying houses 25 to 54? uh, Those are the customers. It seems to me that supply is is outnumbering the customers. And I wanted to show you all some examples of that. In different places, this is the same slide, I'm just gonna scoot on. In the Midwest, you can see that um, employees are in blue, the total number of employees who could, in the Midwest who could afford to having mortgages uh, is in blue, but look how prices have gone up, all right? This is the Northeast, you see the same thing, the blue and the yellow is is what we're looking at. The dotted line is, is housing units, which have remained Fairly steady. My point in all of this is, what is supporting the the growth in the housing prices that we see here? Well, essentially, it's not it's not population. It's something else, and it's essentially the Fed. Uh, the Fed's mortgage backed securities uh, market, in particular, interests me because a few years ago they stopped revealing the number of mortgages they own. And I was like, why would they? It's like when they stopped telling us what M1, the M1 number was. It was so high. They were printing so much money that they just essentially stopped reporting a subsection of that, which is uh, which is M1. I went ahead and pulled Las Vegas on this one. Uh, total employees down 1%. Home prices up 39%. Uh, this is since 2019. The Fed funds, rate has gone down 100%, uh, but the Fed, Federal Reserve held mortgage-backed securities is up 100%. My point in all this is saying that what has supported lately in the last couple of years housing prices, I believe, is it's been supported by the Fed. The Fed, in effect, has been propping up the real estate market in a way, and now they're saying they're going to be shrinking their balance sheet. So we've got two problems here. One is they say they're going to be raising interest rates. The other, they say they're going to be shrinking their balance sheet by $85 billion a month. And a lot of that $85 billion is going to be mortgage-backed securities, which not only means that you know those will be out in the market, but it means that the Fed's not going to be buying more of them. So the Fed, more than any other entity, has a huge relationship Uh, on housing prices, which worries me a little bit. Um, They might go down, they might not, but it's more than one thing. It's not just interest rates going up. It's the fact that the Fed is trimming their balance sheets and will be buying less mortgage-backed securities that worries me. Uh, I wanted to go ahead and show you all year-to-date different asset classes. I just have a few minutes left. Uh, so y'all could just get an idea of outside of real estate, what has been happening in the market. And so what I did was just took a look at ETFs, exchange traded funds, just so y'all could get an idea in different categories. You know, if you were going to invest in something else, what would it be? Right now, probably wouldn't want to be bonds. Uh, you can see that bonds probably on average, well, they go from negative 18 percent to negative 7 percent for ETFs. Those are general bond fund treasury bond funds go from basically flat to negative 18% on the 20 year treasury. So bonds are exactly not where you want to be right now. Uh, I can't really think of any reason why you would want to be in bonds right now. Um, in terms of equity uh, in general, stock market is down at, eh, A good number for that is probably around minus eight, minus nine Uh, so far this year. Once again, these are year-to-date numbers. Uh, These are more specialized uh, equity numbers, uh, technology, that sort of thing. You can see that they're just getting brutalized, too. Technology funds down 13%. Utility funds are up a little bit. People view that as stable, and they uh, they pay dividends regularly, so... So those funds are up, which is a, a great sign. Consumer goods, surprisingly, given inflation, you would think would be up, but I guess they're the ones having to to really absorb inflation and they're absorbing it right now and not passing it on is the only way I can explain the negative numbers. Uh, the financial sector, which is the second part of this, you can see is a little bit down this year. Healthcare is down a lot, which is surprising to me. International funds, except for Brazil, which has plenty of natural resources, international funds are down. Everything's down except for energy funds. And um, I've got a slide for it. Yeah. Energy funds and things having to do with natural resources like uh, commodities that we were talking about earlier. So in terms of where would you put your money if if you were to go outside of real estate a little bit, where would you put your money? Well, the, the smart place, the smart places right now would seem to be in, in things that people eat or need for energy because we're going to have, um, there's gonna be shortages in other countries of food, probably not here, um, but, but food and energy are my two big themes. Those are the things that I, I worry about the most. And I think that's where the steadiest returns are going to be. When you say the word commodities, sometimes that scares people. But, you know, bread and hogs and rice, all those are known as commodities. Um, and we have to have them to live. They they transmit calories to us to live on. And so I think because we're looking at shortages for a number of reasons, um, one being fertilizer. Fertilizer really worries me. I think we're this is a side this a side view, but uh, the Ukraine and Russia are responsible for about twenty-five to thirty percent of all the fertilizer in the world. But also, uh, the rail line um, Union Pacific has told uh, fertilizer producers that they are are cutting the number of cars they can use this year by twenty percent. So even if fertilizers here, a lot of the farmers aren't going to be able to get a hold of it. And that's going to cause strange things to happen. Like people rotating from corn to soybeans, because you don't need uh, as much fertilizer for soybeans as you do for corn. It's a complex world, but I think if you're keeping it simple, if you stick with stuff like energy and food and metals, then my opinion is you'll be okay. And, um, I wanted to end on kind of a happy note. And this to me is a happy note. Uh, well, unless you own uh, real estate way out, west, I guess. But I found this slide to be incredibly interesting. This is, uh, if you take the rivers in the United States and you adjust the scale on them uh, in terms of how much water flows through them, these are the big rivers in the United States. Um, Water, by the way, is also a good investment. There are ETFs for those. But look at the impact of the mighty Mississippi and the impact that the Mississippi has on the Midwest. I just thought that was one of the most fascinating uh, maps I've seen in a while. Uh, I think I ended on time. I hope I gave you all a good idea of what I'm thinking and why. And, um, And now let me stop, and I suppose I'll take some questions if we have time.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Ron, um, for uh, those insights into it, uh, into different markets and the possibilities that could exist uh, for us as we're looking at uh, um, what types of investments that we might want to be diversifying into from what we've learned about here today. Um, so I think one of the key pieces here that I wanted to just underscore for everybody into it is kind of the bullet notes for us is one looking at, great, I've had a ton of appreciation that's here inside of my real estate. Um, is there a way that I can capture some of the gains that I've made inside of my real estate and be able to further diversify that into other things that are going to be safe, secured investments for me that can cash flow? Um, that's what I've done personally um, with all of my real estate As so I kept all of the ones that I really like, all the ones that were dogs I sold. I made a ton of cash off of them, been able to roll them into a, a vehicle uh, that's going to allow me to not pay uh, tax off of the sale Um, of those assets using a Delaware statutory trust, and then further being able to push that money into um, the things that Ron was talking about today, which was stuff people eat and energy. And so those are the things that I'm like, great. I know those are gonna go be stable for us because people gotta have heat to live and they gotta eat. And for my covered call options trading strategy, those are what I need. I need price stability. I need to know that those are gonna go up if we have shortages. And the only way I can lose is that if we end up having deflation and a surplus of food, which I don't see happening, I don't see a world that exists where that's gonna be something that's gonna spring up, um, that I can't pull my money back out of the market within 30 days. So I wanted to give you guys a little bit of context of, here's all the underlying information, but as well as um, what are the things, the nuts and bolts of, those are the action steps um, to do it.